everybody. Uh, good morning. It's great to see you. If we've not met before, my name's Chris. I'm the senior minister here at Andover Baptist Church. Great to welcome you uh, to our service today. If you're here for the first time, it's so great to have you with us. If you're online with us for the first time, great to have you with us as well. We are in part three today of a series we've started over the last couple of weeks called Best Case Scenario, An Optimist's Guide to the Future. Now, I don't know uh, how you are feeling at the state of our world these days, but there seems to be quite a lot of uncertainty and turmoil around. We've seen in the news over the last few days all that's happening in France and the riots there. We hear about wars in Ukraine. Uh, we hear about a cost of living crisis, all this kind of stuff. And it can leave us feeling, rightly and understandably, that our world is in chaos and turmoil. And we're wondering, I think, is it possible to be optimistic about the future? Can we somehow find hope in the state of our world and what might happen uh, in the future? Is it possible to find hope in a world that seems hopelessly broken? Is it possible to trust in God in a world where God seems actually conspicuously absent? And you know, the reality of this is that we are all in the same boat on this. Whether you'd say you were a person of faith or not, whether you'd say you were a Jesus follower or not, we are all in the same boat here because we all have these same questions. So if you're exploring faith today, we're so glad you're here. We want to be a church where people like you feel welcomed and included and valued and free to explore God, explore faith, explore Jesus, explore Christianity at your pace. And that's true if you're online with us as well today. So what we have to talk about in this series about best case scenario is applicable to all of us, whether we would say we were church people or not, whether we were Christians or not, whether exploring faith or not. And my hope is that all of us us today are going to find something really helpful to help us find peace in the midst of turmoil. You know, uncertainty is nothing new, but uncertainty causes fear and insecurity. And throughout history, people have felt uncertain about the future or even uncertain about their own circumstances. And I think there are three things, three types of things that make us feel uncertain in our lives. It's when we find ourselves in unknown situations. It's when we find ourselves in changing circumstances. So when something changes about our circumstances, it leads us to uncertainty and anxiety and fear and insecurity. I was asking people uh, in the studio before the service began on the live stream, in our 10 before on the live stream, to share some uh, things that make them uncertain or insecure on the live chat. And somebody uh, uh, helpfully said where they're in a, a period of life right at the moment where they're moving, but the place they're moving to, the work that they had there, has been cancelled. So all of a sudden there's this massive uncertainty because of an unknown situation and changing circumstances. And by the way, I want to say to the person who shared that, thank you for sharing that. We are praying for you in that. Or maybe we go into a situation where we're in something that we've not done before. We're having to do something we've not done before. All of those things, unknown situations, changing circumstances, having to do something we've not done before, lead us into a place of uncertainty. And that can lead us to insecurity and fear, anxiety and stress. 
And that's true for you and me personally, but it's also true for cultures, for nations, even for our world, actually. Our world can move itself into places of anxiety and uncertainty and fear and insecurity. I've been reading a book recently. I've been boring our staff team here with this a lot. It's a book called A Non-Anxious Presence by Mark Sayers, who's a a cultural commentator, a church leader from Australia. and, And he comments about these great shifts, cultural shifts that the world has been through over its history. And he's saying that round about every 60 or 70 years or so, there are these massive cultural shifts. If you're old enough to remember the 60s, which by the way, I am not, contrary to popular opinion, but if you're old enough, you remember that massive cultural shift that happened in the 1960s. And we are going, everybody thinks, through a similar thing in our world today, this massive post-pandemic cultural shift. And nobody really knows what it's going to look like on the other side of all of that. And that leads to communal, worldwide uncertainty and angst. And we see that in our world, don't we? This great angst that is in our world today. So this is not new, but it doesn't mean it's no less significant. But we've been discovering in this series, and we'll continue to discover over the next few weeks of this series, that not only is this not new in terms of the shifts our world has been through, but it's not new in terms of God's story either. If you read uh, parts of God's story as laid out for us in the Bible, you see over and over again these massive shifts and uncertainty and insecurity and anxiety, these moments that people are going through in God's story. It's not new in God's story either. And actually, as you read God's story, and as Rachel explained to us in week one of this series a couple of weeks ago, often God does his most profound work in those moments of greatest uncertainty. So if you're exploring faith, if you're wondering whether there is a God, and you're in a moment of great uncertainty and anxiety in your life right now, maybe this is an opportunity for God to reveal himself to you or for you to get to know God. If you are already a Jesus follower and you're going through these moments in your life, maybe God has something to do in your life that is so profound it's beyond something you've experienced before because often God does his greatest work in the moments of greatest uncertainty. And throughout God's story, we see people finding ways in these moments of great uncertainty to hold on somehow to faith, to hold on to God, to find God maybe for the first time in the midst of all of that. What if God does some of his greatest work in moments of most uncertainty? And God's story reminds us that what we are experiencing right now is not unique, and God will come through. You know, it's often in moments of uncertainty that we are driven towards God, And that's why God can often do his greatest work in those moments. You know this too, uh, don't you? Uncertainty often causes us to look up and not just look around. When everything's going well in our lives, we look around at what's going on and we congratulate each other and we think all is well. And when things aren't going well in our lives, that's often when we start to look up and we say, God, help me. And again, even if you're not a person of faith, you know this. How many times in the moments of your life, of the most difficult moments, have you prayed things like this? God, if you are there, please will you do this? So you may have huge doubts about God, but you pray. And we know from the statistics that loads of people pray, even if they don't think of themselves as religious. You see, we move often in the direction of God even 
in our moments of greatest uncertainty. And for this reason, you see, God often gets more done in our lives through the bumps along the way in the journey of life than in the smooth, paved road moments. What if your moment of greatest uncertainty right now, your fears or your insecurities, your worries about the world or your worries about what's going on in your life, what if this was an opportunity for God to do something in your life beyond what you have experienced before? What if somehow in the midst of all of that, you could find peace in the midst of the turmoil and uncertainty? What if God could bring you a peace that went beyond your comprehension or understanding? And what if that not only equipped and enabled you for the journey of life, but was also a witness to our world and made you the kind of person that other people would want to be around and be influenced by, that would make you a non-anxious presence in the midst of an angst-ridden world? I think you'd want that wouldn't you? I would. And again, I think if you were a person of faith or not, you'd say, no, I'd want something like that. To find out how we can get to that, we're going to go and look at some words from a guy we often talk about around here. He was a guy called Paul. He was one of the first followers of Jesus. He wrote a significant chunk of the New Testament part of God's story in the Bible. And when you read these words that we're going to read from Paul in a moment, when if you read them without understanding any context, you would think they were really trite and spectacularly unhelpful. But in order to find out how they can be helpful, we need to know something of Paul's background. You see, Paul was not a fan of Jesus, and he was not a fan of Jesus' followers. In fact, he was the complete opposite. And for the first years of the, this new movement of Jesus' followers that was beginning to take place uh, in Jerusalem and in places around Jerusalem, uh, uh, just after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, he went around trying to stamp it out torturing and persecuting the people who were the Jesus followers. But then he has this radical encounter with Jesus, and he becomes a Jesus follower himself. Irony of all ironies, he becomes a Jesus follower himself. And he, he winds up in Jerusalem, the kind of center of this new movement of the Christian faith, and he's telling people about God. He's telling people about Jesus. And the religious authorities of the day, they do not like it at all. So they arrange for people to come and attack him, to drag him out from where he is and beat him up, basically. And in the midst of all of that, the police show up. And the police in those days were the Roman authorities. So the Roman authorities showed up, and to get Paul out of the situation, they arrested Paul. Uh, so I kind of don't know whether what's better or worse, really, but he's being beaten up, and he gets arrested as a way of saving him from this beating. Then they realize he's a Roman citizen, and that means he's due a Roman trial, having been arrested. So they send him off to Rome to stand trial. They put him on a ship, they chain him up in the bottom of the ship, and they send him off. That ship gets blown off course, and for two weeks is completely lost. There's all these big storms going on, and Paul is chained up in the bottom of the ship. You can only imagine how horrific that must have been. And then, eventually, the ship gets shipwrecked, and he ends up on a beach somewhere as a result of this shipwreck. Eventually, he finds his way back to Rome, or they take him to Rome, where he's placed under house arrest awaiting trial. That house arrest lasts for two years because they're obviously backed up. The judicial system is backed up. That resonates, doesn't it? Anyway, so the judicial system is backed up. So he has to wait. He's under house arrest, and he's waiting his trial, and quite possibly torture and death. And in the midst of that, while he's under house arrest, he writes letters to these churches that he was involved in starting. 
This is a position of high uncertainty for Paul. You know those three things I said that cause uncertainty? He could put a big tick next to all of them, right? The future is unclear. His circumstances have changed. He doesn't know what's going on. He's in an unknown situation, and this is not something he's ever experienced or done before or a place he has been before. So Paul is in a moment of maximum uncertainty, anxiety, fear, and insecurity. And in that context, Paul writes these letters. And in one of them, in a letter to a bunch of people in Philippi, which is in the New Testament part of the Bible, this letter to the Philippians, he says this in chapter 4 of that letter. He's talking about, he's thanking the Philippians for their support for him, but he's also talking about how to stand firm in the face of suffering and insecurity. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joint crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. So Paul is saying, I'm about to uh, show you how to stand firm in the midst of anxiety and worry and insecurity and fear, how to find peace in the midst of turmoil. That's what Paul is about to tell them. Then he sends some specific greetings for another couple of verses that we won't worry about today. And then we get to verse 4. And this section is what you would find trite if you didn't know the context of where Paul was at. He knows what it's like to be suffering. He says this, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Now I think I would want to say to Paul, in the midst of my angst and my insecurity, my fear and my worry, really? You want me to rejoice in the midst of You clearly don't understand my situation. How can I possibly rejoice? I don't understand how to rejoice in the midst of these difficult circumstances. But you see, we do know how to rejoice, even if we don't know how to rejoice in our difficult circumstances. See, we know what it means to rejoice. If you've got a new car... You would rejoice in your new car, and you'd be happy about it. If you've got a new job, or you've got the exam results that you need, or whatever, you would be rejoicing. And, and we know what it is to rejoice. Rejoicing means to focus on the good thing that is happening, such that the emotion of that takes over in our lives, and we feel happy. Well, here Paul is saying, no matter what is going on in your life, there is something so spectacular that God has for you, that you can still rejoice in it. God's love and goodness and grace and mercy is so spectacular that you can still find a way to rejoice. Paul is saying, reflect on that, on God's goodness and grace and mercy and love, until your emotions catch up with that reality. And by the way, that's why we sing in church. You've ever wondered why we sing? That this is one of the reasons why we sing, because in the words of the songs, we remind one another of the goodness and the grace and the love and the mercy of God. We rejoice such that the emotion of remembering that begins to take root in our lives. So Paul says rejoice. And then he says something else, which I think is really hard. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. You know, when we are most anxious, most insecure, most afraid, those are the times we are often unkind to those around us, right? When we are stressed, how often does that come out in the way we treat other people? Paul is saying, when you are struggling, when you are angst-ridden, 
Let your gentleness be evident to all. You see, our kindness and our ability to be kind to people is so often dependent upon our circumstances. If things are good in our lives, we find it easy to be kind to people. But that's easy, right? How much more difficult is it, but also how much more impactful is it when we are kind when things are going wrong for us, when we are kind when those moments of most stress Paul is saying, do not let your ability to be kind and gentle to other people depend on your circumstances. Now think about this. Think if you work in an office, think about the moment of highest stress in your office where everybody else is full of angst, where you're under the cosh, or maybe you work in a school and it's Ofsted inspection time and everybody is stressed and everybody is anxious. Maybe in, your, in a family, in the relationships in your family, something's going on in your family and everybody's stressed and anxious and being mean to each other. Think about what you could bring to that situation if you arrive and your kindness and your gentleness is evident to all. What a difference that could make. What a peace bringer you could be in that situation. Paul is saying, don't let something you have no control over take control of your character and rob you of the opportunity to be different to everyone else and to bring a non-anxious presence into the world because that will be a huge blessing. Now, Paul goes on, and here this gets... Like, again, if we don't know Paul here, we are really cross with Paul by this point. If we don't know Paul's uh, context and circumstances, don't be anxious about anything. Well, thank you very much, Paul. You know those people in your life who, when you share an anxiety or a worry, say to you, oh, don't worry, it'll all be okay. You want to kill them, right? You want to shoot them right there. Oh, it'll all be fine. <laughs> That's what it sounds like he's saying, right? I find this really hard. Paul, don't be anxious about anything. Remember, though, who's saying these words and all that he has to be anxious about. But Paul doesn't leave it there, you see. That's the other thing we need to know. Paul doesn't leave it there. He gives us the secret to handling different ti- difficult times and uncertainty. He says this, again, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, every situation, in your marriage, your parenting, your school, your college, your university, your job, in every situation that you find yourself in, replace, he's about to tell us, to replace your anxiety with something. Here's what you should replace your anxiety with. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And again, right, this is the, this is the moment of the talk that's the most important thing this morning, right? So I want you to lean in at this moment. If you've drifted off, Drift back. If you're online, lean in. Right, this is the stuff, right? This is the most important bit. If we read this as, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, pray, we are missing the point of what Paul says. Because if we see that, if we hear Paul saying, don't be anxious, pray, then I know what your response would be. I know what my response would be. Don't you think that's what I've been doing? When I'm anxious and uncertain, I've been praying. Even if you're not a person of faith, You've probably been praying because we know that that's what people do, even if they don't believe there's a God. They're like, ah, God, if you're there, help me. So we've been praying. I want to say to Paul, what do you think I've been doing? I've been praying like crazy, and things don't seem to be changing, and I'm still anxious and afraid and insecure, and I still have no peace. If you're telling me, Paul, that the answer to my anxiety, to finding peace, is to pray, well, I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt, and it doesn't seem to be helping. But that is not all Paul is saying. Right? Paul is saying, and we want to follow this, 
in every situation, replace your anxiety with prayer and petition. Now, petition basically means your request, so it's pretty much the same as praying. But bear with, because Paul is going somewhere with all this. He adds with thanksgiving. So in every situation, replace your anxiety with prayer, petition, telling God what you want, with thanksgiving, remembering the good things even when life is in turmoil. But then he says, present your request to God. And here's the moment, right? Because this word present in the original Greek that Paul would have written this letter in could also be translated reveal. And in the context of the Greek language of the day, it meant to solve a mystery, So in the middle of this, Paul is saying, pray, bring your prayers and your petitions with thanksgiving to God, but reveal before God the true mystery of what is going on in your heart. Reveal before God the deepest desires of your heart, and when you do that, you will find peace. On the surface, it might be prayers like this, God, help me get that job. God, help me to pass those exams. God, help me to find a partner. God, help me, God, help me, God, help me. But what is actually behind those prayers and petitions? What are you afraid or uncertain about? Paul is saying, don't just tell God what you want. Reveal the deepest desires of your heart. And as you talk to God about those, then you will find peace. See, times of anxiety and certainty surface our deepest insecurities and our hidden values. And Paul is encouraging us to dig those up and tell God about them. I want to give you an example of this, and I've got permission uh, to share this example with you. In our house this week, perhaps the moment of greatest un- uncertainty and anxiety in our house in this week, one of my daughters has been getting exam results this week from university, and they're really significant because they, uh, she needed to get a certain uh, uh, mark, a certain grade, to be able to go from year three into year four. And if she didn't get it, then she'd have to finish. And she's had to commit to housing for the next year, because that's how university housing works, all this kind of stuff. So this is a really big deal, all right, in our, in our house this week. As you can imagine, the source of quite a lot of insecurity and uncertainty and fear and worry in our house. And I've been feeling that too. So I, I'm a Christian church leader. I probably should pray about that. So I've been praying about it uh, this week. And then because I knew I was doing this talk today, I thought, well, do you know, I really ought to practice what I'm going to be preaching about on Sunday. So I started my prayers, you know, please God, may she get the exam results that she needs, you know, blah, 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 all of that sort of stuff. And then I was like, no, no, let's just stop here for a minute. Let's try to replace my anxiety with what really is the deepest desire of my heart. And what is the deepest desire of my heart? Not that she passes her exams, but that she'll be okay. That she'll be okay. And now I'm praying differently, right? Because now I'm praying, God, whatever happens, please help her to be okay. And God, help me to do whatever I can to help her be okay. And suddenly, that's the deepest angst of my heart. And as I lay that out before God, God brings a peace in that. And then I start remembering all the other things that God has done in her life. And now I'm thanking God for all the other ways. She's been okay, even when life has been rubbish. And now I'm thanking God about it. And now I'm finding peace. See, that's what happens when you do that. 
when you reveal to God your deepest longings, the deepest desires of your hearts, when you bring them before him, when you remember with thanksgiving all the other times God has helped you through those seasons and met the deepest desires of your heart, then you find what Paul says in the next verse, and the peace of God, which transcends, goes beyond all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Not the peace of your circumstances, but the peace of God. And this guard word is really important here. Guard means to stand or watch over. You know, the reason why we are anxious so much of the time is because we haven't invited and allowed our Heavenly Father to stand guard over our hearts and our minds. We pray and ask him to stand guard over our circumstances, to stand guard over our jobs or our families or our kids or our relationships or our exam results our circumstances, but God is saying, I want to stand guard over your heart, because that's more important to me than your circumstances. And what if God is saying to us is this, what if you allowed me, God, and I taught you how to allow me to stand guard over your heart and your mind, so that you could have peace even when there is uncertainty? And in those moments of uncertainty, in those moments of turmoil, you learn to pray in such a way that at the end of your prayer, you found a peace that goes beyond all human understanding. See, I think this, I think we're supposed to stay on our knees in prayer until we are able to reveal before God the deepest desires of our hearts and until he brings us peace. And our circumstances might not change, but we will have changed. And maybe that's the greatest work God wants to do in our lives. We might not have got the straight A's or the perfect partner or the promotion or the house. But we've got something way more precious. A peace that goes beyond human understanding and a trust in our Heavenly Father that he is in control even if it doesn't feel like that. It's interesting that Rob referenced C.S. Lewis earlier. We hadn't colluded this morning, but I've got a quote from C.S. Lewis as well today. C.S. Lewis, the author of Narnia fame, he once said this, I learned that prayer isn't about changing God. Prayer is about changing me. And I want to add to that, actually, if I can have the temerity to do so, I want to add to C.S. Lewis's quote and say, look, what if we learned that prayer isn't about changing God and it may not always be about changing my circumstances, but prayer is about changing me and my response to those circumstances. Allow God to stand watch over your heart. And how do we do that? How do we stay on our knees, metaphorically or literally, and allow God to reveal to us the deepest desires of our hearts and us to reveal them to God. Well, here's a potential start. You've all got one of these or there's some on the chairs around you. What if you started praying, if you started with your prayers and petitions, when you were anxious, if you replaced your anxiety, starting with your prayers and petitions, God, I need you to, this is what I would like you to do, and if you don't, I'm afraid that... And if you're online with us today, you haven't necessarily got one of these cards, but you could just write this down. It's dead easy. God, I need you to, that's my prayer message, I need you to help me pass this, I need you, whatever. If you don't, I'm afraid that. And that would be the beginnings of you revealing before God the deepest desires of your heart. That's pretty straightforward, right? We could do that. This is a way, I think, this card, this idea, to begin to pray in a new way to begin to present our prayers and petitions to God with thanksgiving 
but beyond that, to reveal the mystery of the real desires of our heart. And I'm certain when we do that, God will fill us with a peace that goes beyond all understanding. We will find peace in the turmoil. And not only will that impact us, but it will impact those around us. It will be seen and it will change things. And it will impact our angst-ridden world for good. You know, when life is uncertain, God is not. And if you're not a person of faith, you may never have discovered that. Well, today I want to tell you that and I want to invite you to discover that. And if you are a person of faith, believe me, we have just as many uncertainties and anxieties in our lives as anybody else. But God is still certain. And in the midst of uncertainty and turmoil, there is the opportunity for God to do his greatest work. And our circumstances might not change, but we will discover a peace that goes beyond human comprehension. And we will know our Heavenly Father for the first time, maybe, or in a way that we have never known him before. And we will be able to thank God for that. And it will not only change us, but it will change those around us. Because it will be such a strong testimony to the grace and the goodness of God. What an angst-ridden world needs is a non-anxious presence. What we need in our lives when we are anxious is a peace that goes beyond understanding. And those two things can beautifully come together as God works in our lives to bring us peace and then through us to bring a non-anxious presence into a world that is in turmoil and is chaotic. And as we do that, it will be God himself working through us to minister to our world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, just in these moments, I want to thank you that you are uh, certain when the world is not. You are not changing when the world around us is changing all the time. You are a non-anxious presence in the midst of an angst-ridden world. Thank you that whilst we would never desire for our world to be an anxious or stressful or a tumultuous place... And while we'd never want that in our own lives either, it is in those moments of greatest chaos and turmoil that you can do your greatest work. We see that over and over again in your story in the Bible, over and over again in the midst of the most horrific and horrendous of circumstances, you do your greatest work. So in our lives, I pray, Lord God, in these moments right now, Help us to actually begin to reveal to you the deepest desires of our hearts, the deepest insecurities, the deepest worries. It goes beyond our circumstances to what's really going on, the mystery of what's really in our hearts. Lord God, and as we open up and reveal those to you, as we talk to you about those, Lord, move us to that peace that goes beyond understanding, I pray. As we rejoice now, as Andy leads us in these songs we're about to sing, help us to use them to focus on the reality of who you are, of your goodness and your grace and your mercy that never changes, is always there no matter what our circumstances are. And Lord, allow those things, our rejoicing, our thanksgiving, our prayers, our petitions, our revealing to you of the deepest desires of our hearts to truly bring us peace. And then, Lord, I pray, when we go out from this place today, when we get up from the sofa or wherever it is we've been watching online, we would be a non-anxious presence in our angst-ridden world. And that would make us ambassadors for you. 